0: you fired up now let's go how's the daily bible reading going okay 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 just check it we did an informal unscientific uh, poll this week on social media Kelsey put this out there on Instagram on our hope page and said how's the daily bible readings going and we were really pleasantly surprised of course like I said unscientific poll these are only the people who responded (laughs) and the overwhelming majority said we're locked in, we're right up to date, we're reading every day, we're keeping up, that's great, and if that's you, pat on the back from me, just way to go, keep it going, and you already, you don't, probably don't even need me to tell you to keep going, because you're already realizing how rich the blessings are, although we just read Leviticus, how'd that go? Yeah, that was like chewing glass, wasn't it? That, that's a little rough, but actually there's substance to that, and there's a reason we want you to read the whole Holy Bible. If you just want to do the New Testament track, you can do that too. But we're reading the whole Holy Bible together this year as a church uh, at all of our campuses. Hello to all of our other campuses and local sites and everybody online and wherever else you might be in people's living rooms gathered in Florida or Phoenix. I'm hearing about that now too. Hi to everyone. Wherever you are. As you read through this, the reason we want you to read books like Leviticus, it's not irrelevant. It's absolutely relevant. It tells you transferable principles about the nature and the character and the personality of who God is. God cares about the details. Down to what color the ropes are in the temple. In in the Holy of Holies, around the Ark of the Covenant. God cares about the details. And not only that, what you'll pick up from reading this, even though it might seem just like a whole bunch of nonsensical details, it's not. You'll realize Leviticus, if, if you get a little bit of help and take the Bible studies that we have here, is written. It's about rituals, it's about priests, and it's about sacrifices and those are sandwiched at the beginning and the end of Leviticus. It starts here and ends here. So it's it's the rituals, the priests, the sacrifices and then sandwiched in the middle in two chapters of the book of Leviticus is the whole point. It's the day of atonement. God is holy. And so it's not like just anybody can approach him especially in old covenant times. Where the covenant is, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And I have these laws that are blessings for you, which will help you in your life. And if you follow them, you'll have access to me. But If you don't follow them, you don't have access. You lose your access. And so what God is doing is he's showing mercy and grace by giving his people a redo, a a, a new chance, a a do-over, if you will. The day of atonement is an opportunity for them to re-up with God. And we get those same opportunities now, transferable principles through Jesus Christ. He's our day of atonement. He's the one who forgives our sins. He is the uh, personification of God's amazing grace. He shows up in our day-to-day lives and reminds us, reminds you, reminds me, you have full access to the holiness of God, to the throne of the kingdom of heaven. You have access to the new life that only God can give you. So when we read books like Leviticus, even though it's a little clunky and slow, and if you think that was something, wait till you get to Numbers this week. Although it is shorter. So as we read through these, we learn transferable principles about the nature of God. And that's important. We want you to be in God's word. The word goes out. It doesn't come back empty. The prophet declares Isaiah. God inspires him to say that. God's word goes out. It doesn't come back empty. We want you to read it. I don't want you to just read it. We want you to learn it. So that you can live it out. So that it can be a life changer for you. And God's word will do that. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, Romans 10, 17. A quote of an Old Testament scripture. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. So how much listening are you doing? God has something to say to you. Will you let him? Will you give him that space in your life? That survey that I told you about, the majority said they're, they're locked in akin, that's just the people who responded. A smaller uh, percentage, but still very significant, said, I'm a few days behind, but I think I'm going to catch up. That was basically a summary of that part of it. And then there was a third, smaller minority, but still significant minority of people who took this survey, and at least they were honest enough to say, I totally bailed. I mean, that, that wasn't the way it was worded in the, in the survey, but that's my paraphrase of it. I, I'm out. I tried, woo, to, no time, too confused, whatever the reason, I'm just out. If that's you, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm not here to shame you. I'm not here to say, well, what? What? You think it's hot here in the summer in July where you're, I'm, I'm not here to say that. I'm not here to say that. Let me say, one. I'm not here to say that. I'm here to invite you to get back on the horse that you fell off, because this is a good ride. This is a ride I don't want you to miss. We want you to read it, learn it, live it. That video you saw from a Nike commercial uh, that's played uh, a lot in Peru. It's a Peruvian soccer star named Paulo. And you don't need to know that, but he's diligently working out. He's sacrificing his body so that he can win a worldly prize. First Corinthians 9 says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They don't just show up. They have discipline in their training. And they do all that. They put in all the time behind the scenes that you don't see. They they put in all the work so that they can win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. That is not Paul changing his whole theology and saying, if you live for, you know, uh, God and you read the Bible, if you read the Bible, you're going to get to heaven. It's not what Paul's saying. It's certainly not what I'm saying either. But what it will do is it'll assure you of who you are. It'll assure you of your place in the kingdom of God. And that's going to change your life. That's going to give you that peace that passes all human understanding. And it'll give it to you in a way that nothing short of it can do. We do this for an eternal prize. And so we want to make, as a church, we want to make God's word as accessible as it can be for you this year. I've never been more excited about a theme, about about what we're doing together as a church. And and the response that people are having. And, And not at all surprised, though, about the fact that when people get into this, it blesses them. So in order to make it as accessible, God's word as it can be, we're doing this together. Thousands of us, not just here in Des Moines, but in our local sites around the Midwest. uh, Our our friends in Liberia are doing this, uh, who tune in and worship with us each week. A lot of friends in Denmark are doing this. We're reading these scriptures and these passages together. Because we want to get into God's word. We want to make it as accessible as it can be. So we've got the daily Bible readings, we've got this handy-dandy bookmark, which retails for $79 on Amazon, but today we're giving it to you for free of all of our different locations, and actually we're going to go ahead and keep it free for you all year, and we'll never charge you anything for it, but it, it'll give you the weekly readings, Old Testament, New Testament, and the dates so that you can stay on. We also have that broken down into 365 daily readings on our website, if that's better for you. Those daily readings are available to you, not just as you open up the book called the Bible or go onto your Bible app and you can read it there. Like I highly recommend Bible Gateway. It's the app that I have on the top of my phone. Uh, You can do it there or you can listen to the audio recordings that are read to you by our studio leader here at Hope. His name is Chris New. He's the one who's been taking you through Leviticus this last week if you've been doing that. Uh, Amy, who's the co-host of the WHO Radio Morning Show and is a HOPE member, has graciously volunteered her time to do a lot of the readings too. So you're like, oh, that's why that voice is so familiar, doing those readings. You're not cheating by having the readings read to you. That's how scripture was handed down from generation to generation. It was oral tradition before it was written. And not only that, if you learn on Apple Podcasts how to hit the double speed button, You can take these 20 to 30-minute daily podcasts and cut them down to 10 to 15 minutes. So there's all these accessibility options. We've got daily Bible readings. We've got free Bibles in three or four different languages, and we're adding more languages. We've got daily devotions that we'll email to to you. You can find these all on the Hope websites. We've got live teaching on weekends, like right here and right now. We'll teach on a portion of what you read this last week. In order to support what you're reading, to give you some substance underneath it and to help you go deeper into it. We've got Old Testament Bible studies here at the West Des Moines campus in our chapel on Thursday nights at 6. If you're having trouble with the Old Testament readings, come to the chapel at 6. And a pastor will lead that study. Currently it's uh, Pastor Caroline leading that part of the study. Good stuff. We want to make God's word accessible to you. We've got uh, devotions uh, that, that are for you as individuals and for families. We've got the live teaching. We've got podcasts, a kids' podcast called God's Story for Kids, an audio podcast. Uh, we've got a video podcast and audio podcast that we do Wednesdays at noon, uh, live. You can tune in live. We're going to start uh, opening those up for questions so that you can text your questions in and we'll answer as many as we can during that podcast or you can listen to it on demand later if Wednesdays at noon don't work for you. We want to make God's word accessible. Because when it goes out, it doesn't come back empty. It'll bless you. We want to support your journey through the Bible. Because otherwise, it's too easy to jump off the horse. Uh, We've got... Hope groups and discussion guides for groups. So, if you're in a small group, encourage you to get your group into these study discussion guides. Uh, We, during Lent, Ash Wednesday is just around the corner, the first day of Lent. The very next day, that Thursday at 12 noon from noon to 1 p.m., in our West Des Moines campus here, in our bridge, our fellowship hall, we're going to have a um, lunch and learn for Lent. All six Thursdays during Lent, you can come, uh, you can sit down, you can get a free lunch. Uh, and you can dive into God's word a little bit deeper. A pastor will be there from Hope to provide a five-minute overview, and then that pastor will rotate around between the tables as you follow the discussion guides with your table, and you work through it. You're going to go deeper if you don't do this alone. Get into a place where you can ask your questions, where you can discuss, where you can hear what other people are finding and what they're gleaning out of these readings. We're better in community. This is not a Lone Ranger sport. Get around people, tune into the podcast, come to the Bible studies, come to the discussion groups, get your small group to do this, and ask us. If you still have outstanding questions, ask us. Today at our Sunday Fun Day, I'll invite you to come back after the 11 o'clock service. We'll start right around noon. After lunch, we'll have a whole panel of pastors from Hope sitting right here, and we'll answer any questions you have. If you can't come to Sunday Funday, uh, I don't know why you couldn't, there's no really good games on this afternoon, but uh, for whatever the reason, if, if you can't come to that, uh, then you can email us, richard.webb at hopewdm.org, uh, ben.mason, he'll be on the podcast this week, uh, Caroline, all, all uh, Amanda, uh, Jeremy, myself, pastor.mike at hopewdm.org let us know, we want to hear from you be patient, we'll get to you as soon as we can we're getting a lot of questions but we want to work through this with you We, we we want you to have full accessibility to God's word, so that you can read it, learn it and live it this is the thing about God's word is it leads us to this victory and that word for victory in the Bible is Nike did you know that? I'm not saying the shoe company is Bible-based, I'm pretty sure they're not, uh, but, but, I, but I'm telling you that if you're wearing the swoosh uh, on your foot or on your shirt or whatever it might be today, you're wearing a symbol of New Testament victory. It's a good name for a shoe company too, victors, winners, that's what Nike means. In 1 John chapter 5, for instance, it says, this is the victory. There's the original Greek word, Nike, which is actually Nike in the Greek. So if you really want to be snooty about it and you say, hey, I like your new Nikes, just go, actually, they're (laughs) Nikes. Please don't. That just gives Christianity a bad name. This is the victory, the Nike, the person who wins, Nikeo, out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes that Jesus, everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Say Believes. The one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. And when we do that, it, man, it's, it's going it's to change your life. It really is. Which begs the question and leads to the big question in Mark's gospel. We've turned the page from Matthew to Mark. So let me tell you a little bit about Mark. Let me, let me give you some foundational um, kind of, you know, set the table pieces so that when you eat, when you sit down and, and you take in God's word through the gospel of Mark it'll make more sense to you. This is the big question for Mark. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus that the Bible says we should believe in and it'll lead us to to Nike, to victory, to to, to winning and not just winning some sort of trophy that's going to last for a while but we're going to win a heavenly prize. Yesterday was a good day for college basketball sports fans in Iowa who cheer for the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes and Even the Bulldogs are doing great. They're on top of the Missouri Valley Conference. The Hawkeyes, Peyton Sanford, I think he's going to be like sixth man of the year in the Big Ten. He's a Hope kid who grew up here. His grandparents were at the 8 o'clock service. Just a great Hope family. He's all in with Jesus. He texted me after the Rutgers game. He says, Pastor Mike, I don't know what this is all about, but it was the best game he had. He had 20-some points for the Hawkeyes. He goes, I don't know what this is all about, but I'm telling you, I just listened to the Pastor Mike Drop podcast on the flight here to New Jersey, and then I had that game, so I'm thinking, you know, that might be it. Tune into the podcast, start hitting three-pointers. I'm just saying. There's no, again, no scientific evidence there. I'm just telling you what happened. Which is what Mark does. He starts his gospel this way. Chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. That is a strong opening statement. It may not look like it at first, but it absolutely is. And it really does set the table for the rest of everything you're going to read in the 16 chapters of Mark's gospel. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news. The Greek word is evangelon, which is where evangelism comes from. It's often translated in older English translations as gospel, but a more accurate translation for the way we use the English language today in 2023 is good news. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, about Jesus. Jesus' name literally means, remember, Mark's writing this in Greek, so as people are reading the Greek name Jesus, they're reading Jesus. We know what that means. That means the one who saves. This is the good news, the evangelism. This is the good news about the one who saves, Jesus, who is the Messiah, an old Hebrew word that means the anointed, chosen one of God that God's people had been waiting for for centuries, seven plus centuries at least, to come and to raise Israel back up to renewal and prominence. This is the good news about the one who saves, who is the chosen, anointed one of God, the Son of God, powerful strong opening statement and this is the last time in all 16 chapters of Mark's gospel that he will tell you who Jesus is you say yeah that's the thing about Mark's gospel it's just it's just it just so jumps around so fast it doesn't seem like it's as deep as some of the other ones especially like John or Luke is a literary masterpiece and and Matthew was rich we just read Matthew Mark is just sort of like reading a news report just the facts here's what happened it's too bad mark didn't go deeper oh you missed it mark arguably is the deepest of the four gospels on all sorts of levels john particularly will tell you and john is rich i can't wait to get to, i can't wait to get to luke and john but john will tell you what jesus did and what he said and then he'll tell you what it means and who he is And he'll identify him. He'll even tell you he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's all these things. He is God. He'll he'll even say he's the great I am. And Jesus says I am the great I am. Meaning I'm the same I am who showed up for Moses in the burning bush. I'm God. John will just put it out there and he'll keep hitting you with it. And pepper you over it. Jesus is God. Do not miss this. Mark emphasizes the human side of Jesus. Where John emphasizes the divine side of Jesus. Jesus. But Mark, do not underestimate Mark, because his gospel is a literary masterpiece. Let's give credit where it's due. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. But it's through Mark's pen. And Mark is writing just this first verse. I'm going to tell you once, and then I'm not going to tell you again. But as the cool kids say today, I'm going to tell you without telling you the rest of the way through. I'm going to tell you who Jesus is by telling you what he did. By telling you what he said. By telling you how people responded. By telling you in some places what he didn't say when he could have. I'm going to tell you who Jesus is, but I'm going to not tell you. I'm going to invite you into the story. I'm going to invite you to answer the big question, who do you say this man is? Who is this Jesus for yourself? A little bit more about Mark. He's actually named John Mark. He wrote his gospel around 55 to 65 AD. 99% of serious biblical and historical scholars all agree on this. Even those who are atheists say, yep, that's about the time that history points us to, that that's when Mark wrote it. And there's different ways they figure this out. And then they say, this is it. That means that Mark's gospel was the first one written. Even though it's the second one in your New Testament table of contents, it was written before Matthew. Matthew. All but 31 verses, I think it is, of Mark's gospel are repeated in the other three gospels, or paraphrased at least in the other three gospels. Clearly, Mark was a source in addition to what they eyewitnessed as they wrote their gospels. Mark is first. That's worth noting. He also writes the shortest gospel, which, by the way, is another reason to get back on the horse. If you want a short, quick, action-packed kind of... In in video stores, when they used to have those, it would be in the action-adventure section. Uh, of, of, of the video store or on Netflix. You go to Action Adventure, Gospel of Mark. So here's the Gospel of Mark. He starts by telling us who Jesus is. Then he isn't going to tell us, but he's going to tell us everything without saying it because he wants us to learn. He's the first gospel. He's the shortest gospel, and he invites us into the story. He calls us to action, not just to read it, but to learn it and to live it. Sound familiar? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a literary masterpiece, just like Luke and John and Matthew, and maybe in some ways even better. He calls you as a reader and me as a reader and anybody else who opens up his gospel and takes in the words of God. He calls us to respond and to find ourselves in the story. I'm not going to tell you. It's, it's like Mr. Bettner, my math teacher in high school. I like Mr. Bettner so much. Everybody has a favorite teacher, he was mine. I liked him so much I took him three years in a row for math, Uh, Algebra II, Trigonometry, Calculus. Uh, He inspired me so much I started college as a math major and then I took Calculus too. (laughs) And I wasn't a math major anymore. (laughs) But I'm so glad that my path crossed Mr. Bettner's path in life. He was a funny guy. He was a little overweight, and he'd say, you know, I get three hamburgers to the mile on my bike, uh, you know, things like that, and you just kind of keep everything fresh. Mr. Bettner um, posed for this yearbook picture, did you go in a high school like me, uh, where the yearbook pictures were not like just random photos from actual classes, but they were, here's the yearbook committee and they're here to take pictures of your math class today. I was in this class because that's Pat Johnson, my basketball teammate, and the guy who sat right behind me in calculus. And because he was wearing a suit, because it was Pat's senior picture day, the yearbook committee came in and said, okay, we'll get, the, we'll get the guy in the suit to come up here to use this prop that we didn't use in three years in Mr. Bettner's class not even once, to look like Mr. Bettner's teaching him how to use this thing. And I think the reason Mr. Bettner's laughing is this is totally post. This is completely fake. But uh, my buddy Pat sometimes listens to these sermons. He still lives in Chicago. So, Pat, you made a sermon. There you go. <laughs> Mr. Bettner was fond of telling Pat and myself and all of our classmates and anybody who took his math classes, if I give you the answer, you won't learn and remember much. If, however, you learn to find the answer on your own, you'll never forget it. That's Mark. That's Mark's gospel. I want you to learn who Jesus is on your own by me telling you what he did and what he said instead of telling you who he is. Because of Mr. Bettner, I know things that are just totally irrelevant to my life. But, but I'll never forget it. Because Mr. Bettner would say, if I just give you the answer so that you can memorize it for the test on Friday, then when you turn the chapter in our math textbook to the next part, you're not going to remember what you learned or what you memorized. But if I teach you to figure it out on your own, to find yourself in the equation, to learn how to calculate it for yourself, then trigonometry and calculus is going to come to life in a whole new way. And you're going to walk with a renewed confidence about it. You're not going to be intimidated by the next chapter. Because you actually learned it. You actually learned the foundational stuff you need to get to the next part. If I just tell you the answers, you're not gonna remember it. So I remember that little e, this mathematical thing like pi, little e is 2.718281828459045. Look me up on that, I'll guarantee you that's right. Who needs to know that? But it's because I didn't just memorize it for a quiz. It's because I learned, it's because I got into the story of this math textbook and what Mr. Bettner was teaching us. If you learn to find the answer on your own, you'll never forget it. That's what Mark's trying to do for us. I want you to figure out who Jesus is on your own. I'm going to tell you more than enough so that you can make an obvious decision, an obvious choice along the way. For instance, in our story for today that you heard the gospel reading just a little bit earlier in the service, a fierce storm wells up. High waves hit the boat that the disciples and Jesus are in. The boat begins to fill with water and the disciples turn to Jesus, who's John Wayne Cool, sleeping in the boat while these professional fishermen are freaking out saying, we've never seen a storm like this before. We're gonna die. Don't you care? You ever find yourself in that kind of a boat, that kind of a story? You're up against it. You don't know what you're going to do. And maybe you even cry out to God, don't you care? Where are you? Wake up. Help. We're going to drown here. Those of you who are visual learners, take a look. And this is literally word for word right out of the scriptures of Mark chapter 4.
1: That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
0: who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him who is this man well that's the question mark's not going to tell you but he's going to show you what Jesus did mark is a colleague of the apostle paul and we learn about that in the book of acts john mark was with paul on his one of his missionary journeys but maybe more important mark was a scribe or a traveling secretary for simon peter which kind of explains the tone of mark's gospel Peter is an eyewitness to all these things. John Mark is an eyewitness to many of them. But the things that John Mark doesn't see, he's not in the boat, but Peter is. Peter doesn't have time to write it down because he's the kind of disciple who speaks first and thinks about it after, which is really refreshing for those of us to do that from time to time. He is fond of putting his foot straight into his mouth. And he'll do that a little bit later in Mark's gospel. But... The traveling secretary, John Mark, is writing down everything Peter says. You wouldn't believe what just happened in the boat. Here's what we saw, and the other gospels confirm it. People who were in the boat, like John, and and tell us this is what happened, like Matthew. And, And so Mark is telling us this story, and one of his favorite words, like Peter kind of moved through his life, is immediately or at once in some English translations. He's jumping from place to place. That's table settings. Here comes the main course. Have you ever been in that kind of a boat before? Where you don't know if you're going to make it? Or maybe even worse, you see a loved one in a boat like that, and you're overwhelmed with fear and worry and concern that they're going to drown, that they're going to not survive? That's heavy. Jesus knows that. John Mark knows that. Which is why he tells this story. You're going to find yourself in life in situations where the waves are slapping up against your boat. And the water's filling it up. And the the, the, the storm is so overwhelming. You're just ready for the boat to capsize. Ten years ago this summer, I found myself as a patient in a hospital for seven days. Low light of my life. Day after day, it felt like a line of doctors were coming in to say, well, it's even worse than we thought. And so here's this to add to that and to add to the other thing. Before things got better, they just seemed like they kept getting worse. The storm just kept getting worse. And I tried so hard. I tried so, you know, you have coping mechanisms and we all have our own go-to things. You know, for me, it's music, maybe for you too, that certain kinds of music just almost always makes me happy, almost always lifts me up. Played all that music, didn't do any good. So humor is is one of my go-to's, and especially Seinfeld reruns. I don't know why. So I'm watching Seinfeld reruns on, on on my laptop and it's funny but it's not helping. I mean it's just not enough. All the things I tried just just you know certain kinds of food or or what it's just not enough. And I'm paging through God's word and I get to Mark chapter 4 this story and I read about the storm I'm like man I'm in that boat. Can you relate? Have you ever been in that boat? Are you in that boat right now? Do you have a loved one who's in a boat like that right now? Well, I've got good news for you. And I don't know what it was, but it's, it's like this verse. Mark chapter 4, verse 39, jumped off the page. Don't you care? Yeah, I do. Silence, be still, Jesus says. He wakes up from his nap. He goes to the edge of the boat, and he says, Silence, peace, quiet, be still. And immediately, the storm subsides, the Bible says. It's like a swimming pool in the morning before anybody's jumped in. It's just like glass. Calm. I don't know what it was, but God's word became real for me in a whole new way that day. As I read from my hospital bed, I read this passage, and then I wrote it on the whiteboard. Mark 439, just to remind myself the rest of the time I was there. The God who made me, loves me, and has me. And he's the one who can quiet all the storms, and I'm telling you, that gave me a hope. I'm like, it's all due respect to Seinfeld episodes and music and, and food and all the other things that we can do that wasn't enough. God's word does that. And that's the way Mark portrays this story, so that we can, we can learn it for ourselves. Instead of Mark just telling us, this is who Jesus is, He tells the stories. And then he invites you to find your place in these stories. So, how are you going to respond? How are you going to answer the question, who is this Jesus? The disciples are blown away. And I'm sure for a moment they're like, oh, wow, thank goodness we're not going to die. But then Mark tells us, Peter must have told him, we were terrified, absolutely terrified. And we asked ourselves on the boat, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? As we get to Luke's gospel here in a few weeks, you'll read in Luke chapter five, verse eight, Jesus does another miracle in a boat with Peter and some other disciples where Peter had not been catching any fish and he'd thrown his net on on one side of the boat and the other side, it didn't work. And he's a professional fisherman. And now this rabbi, this carpenter's kid from Nazareth tells him, throw your net over on this side. Peter's like, really? You don't know what you're talking about. This is my job. This is what I do. There are no fish on the other side of the boat. Just just do it. All right, you're my teacher. He throws the net over on the other side and there's so many fish he can't even pull them all in. And Peter's reaction is kind of like this, terrified. He says to Jesus, just to paraphrase, get out of my boat. I'm a sinful man. (laughs) You are intimidating me and you picked the wrong guy to follow you. I'm kind of a mess. I'm not the most moral or spiritual person you've ever met. I'm a fisherman. I've got responsibilities. I I, I do things, I'm practical, I'm down to earth. Clearly, you just showed up and you bring something that intimidates me. You ever wanna keep arms distance from God, you know, kinda hang out in the shadow? God, I don't want you to see everything I do. I don't want you to notice this or that or or that thing I said or the way I feel about that person. I'm going to try to hide that from you, God. Here's the misunderstanding. The Jesus who shows up in your boat knows you, loves you, and comes with mercy and grace to forgive you and to set you free. That's why I'm in your boat, Peter, because I see what you could be if you receive my new life. I see what a transformed Peter can look like I'm seeing you the way God sees you instead of the way the world sees you or the way you see yourself. Can you find yourself in this story? Do you see yourself the way the world sees you? That's how you identify yourself? You know what would be really good for you? Start to see yourself the way God sees you. Through his eyes, through the eyes of heaven. That's transformational. The disciples are terrified partly because Psalm 65, Psalm 89, I believe it is, Psalm 107... All say the same thing. Only God can calm a storm. Only God can control nature. Only God has that power. So stop blaming the meteorologist who's reporting it. Only God has the power to control these things. And some of the disciples in the boat had to know their scriptures. And so they realize, huh, oh my, that's God. That's not just a prophet. That's not just a teacher. That's not even just a revolutionary leader. That is God in our boat. Because that's the only one qualified to do what he just did. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Well, they knew the answer, and it was kind of blowing them away, terrifying them. It's God. But they didn't need to be terrified, and neither do you. Neither do I. Because the God who's in our boat has shown up in our lives to give us hope to give us peace, to give us freedom, to give us new life, to give us the assurance of everlasting life. Find yourself in this story. It's the power of God's word to remind you what you're doing here. Who's going to win in the end? Who's going to give you the Nike, the Nike, the victory? And and what the source of that is, it's the one who stands up in the boat after waking up from a nap and says, quiet, be still, and it is. In a way, nothing short of that can do. So how do we respond to this good news? Who do you say that I am, Jesus will say, in the key, defining moment of Mark's gospel. It's halfway through Mark chapter 8. You'll read about it this week. Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? What's the buzz out there? And they say, well, some say you're like Elijah, a miracle worker from the Old Testament. We'll read about him later. Some say you're like John the Baptist. You know, he drew a huge crowd like you're drawing, although not as big of a crowd as you're drawing, Jesus. There's something about you, that inspired us to drop our nets immediately, at once, as soon as you called us from our fishing boats to follow you, to drop everything that's familiar, to drop everything we know. There's something holy about you, like the God who shows up in the book of Leviticus to atone his people of their sins. That same God shows up in your boat to atone you of your sins and to give you a taste of that in the Lord's Supper today before we go home. In just a minute. Who do you say that I am? Well, Elijah, John the Baptist, the prophet, you know, that's what people are saying. But what about you, the people in my boat? What about those of you who saw me calm the storm? What about those of you who've seen me cast out demons? What about those of you who've seen me heal tons of people? What about those of you who've been camping out with me for a year and a half and realize I never sin? Who do you say that I am? Peter. Peter. Mark taking notes. Peter blurts out, you're the Messiah. Mark will tell you who Jesus is without telling you. Jesus is in, and let me correct you if you're wrong mood, but he doesn't correct Peter when Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the one of God, the anointed one we've been waiting for. You're God in the flesh. Jesus doesn't say, okay, let's not get carried away with all the Messiah talk. Let's not go crazy here. He doesn't say that because Peter gave the right answer. And then Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 8, right after that, to say, you're right, and here's what that means, we're going to go to Jerusalem, here's the vision, where I'm going to be betrayed, handed over to the authorities, whipped, beaten, mocked, put on trial for a crime I didn't commit, crucified, executed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. Let's go. Peter rebukes him, that's not what Peter had in mind. I thought you'd be King David-like Messiah. I thought you'd restore us. I thought you'd take over the Roman Empire that occupies us and oppresses us. I thought you'd take over the temple. I thought maybe we'd rise to power with you. That's why I dropped my net. Because I thought there was something holy and special about you. And Jesus, who's in a correcting mood, says, get behind me, Satan. Because you're seeing yourself and your goals and who you are, your identity, from a worldly perspective... And I want you to learn to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. And seeing me for who I really am. Who do you say that I am? You're right, I'm the Messiah, but you don't have it totally right. So how do you respond to this question? Mark's not going to tell you the answer. He wants you to find yourself in the story and learn it for yourself. Will you be like Peter and the other disciples in the boat who are really getting close? And Peter will get it. After Jesus lives, dies, and rises from the dead, he says, Peter, you're in charge. You take the church forward. That's a good place to be. Are you in the crowd interested in Jesus? Kind of intrigued by what he might bring to you into this world? Great. But it's time to move from the crowd to the boat. It's time to let Jesus become real for you. Are you hostile toward Jesus like some people in our world are today? Like they were in Jesus' day? who see Jesus as a threat to their way and, and their goals and their vision and, and what they think religion should be, if they think religion should be anything, repent of that. Turn around. But if you're in these two categories, it's to lead to this one. This is the goal, Mark makes it very clear. He says it without saying it. He starts by saying, this is who Jesus is. It's the last time I'm going to tell you. Halfway through the defining moment in his gospel, Peter blurts out, you're the Messiah, right answer, but you don't quite get it yet. You will. Maybe that's you. You don't quite get it yet. You don't quite get Jesus yet. He's not quite real for you. He's just sort of a religion right now. But you will if you stay with it, if you stay in his word. And then Mark ends literary masterpiece with Jesus dying on the cross and none of the disciples are there to say this. Those who are there don't say it. The only one who says it is the centurion, the enemy, the enemy, the soldier who is a centurion, literally his title means he is in charge of a hundred soldiers. He's there to witness. He's, there on, he's working. He's in charge of kind of watching over the cross to make sure Jesus really dies. And when Jesus really dies, the centurion and the centurion alone, as Mark writes his gospel, says, surely this man was the son of God. The same way Mark started his gospel. I'm going to tell you Through what I heard and what I saw, I heard the centurion say it. Surely this man is the son of God. And then you turn the page into the last chapter of Mark's gospel and at first it's just weird. It's just eight verses. It's so uncomfortable that later other writers added things to Mark's gospel after verse eight, but the original version is just verse eight and it ends. It ends where the women come to the tomb and the tomb is empty and angel's there and said, he's not here. He's risen from the dead and they freak out like the disciples did in the boat and they run back, (laughs) scene, end of gospel. It's like the ending of The Sopranos. What happened? (laughs) I'm not going to tell you because it's a literary masterpiece, but more than that, I want you to find yourself in the story. I want you to make the call. Maybe you're terrified by a God who shows up as a person and rises from the dead and it just blows you away who can calm storms. Don't be. He's here because he loves you and he wants to set you free. And we're about to get a taste of that in this meal. The gospel ends abruptly, just like Simon Peter lived. Boom. So that you can make the call. So that you can find yourself in this story. So that you can get to know Jesus, the one who really is not the one that's comfortable for you necessarily or the one that somebody told you they want Jesus to be. The Jesus of Scripture, the one God reveals, it's way better in Mark's version than the one you heard from Uncle Harry. With all due respect to Uncle Harry or Aunt Sue. Get to know the Jesus who is, who comes to you in this meal. I'll turn it over to the campus pastors.